Good morning, I'm John Wyman, I'm the missions pastor here at Fellowship of Grace and just really excited to spend another morning uh, as we continue in our sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we're going to be in chapter 10 verses 13 to 22, continuing to study that. But I I don't know if you know, some of you may know this about me, several years ago I kind of felt the, the need, the calling to go back to school and it had been a very, very long time since I had been in school. Not only that, but uh, my undergraduate degree was in civil engineering. And if you know anything at all about engineers, there are, there are two real truths that apply to engineers. Number one, we are totally incapable of like, interacting on any social norm with other human beings. That's just, it's just not where we're not like, like genetically wired that way. We don't do that. The, the other thing about engineers that you may not know is we can't write. Like, if you want to really have some fight, you would do better to put a monkey in front of a keyboard than to put an engineer and expect something, like, logical and cohesive and all. So, so I go from, like, this, you know, four years of, you know, with a bunch of geeks and, you know, slide rules and abacuses and whatever else we used at that time, you know, this long break, and all of a sudden, like, not only did they want me to write, they demanded me to write. Like, this was not a suggestion. And, um, okay, so I can put that together, but I will tell you that there's a spiritual gift I don't have, and that's called citing resources. Like, I cannot do that to save my life. And it, it got to a point, you know, I, I could write the paper, but, you know, basically the footnote was like, hey, I read Bob's book. I, I just, that was about as good as I can get. I grew to detest and despise the Chicago Manual of Style. I mean, I loved Kate Turabian with all my heart, but she hurt me badly for those couple of years. And... One night, I'm, I mean, it got to the point where you're like, I would turn in a paper and, and, and the professor was just like, okay, let's try this one more time, John, you know? And, and, and so one night I'm doing this research, I'm online doing research, and, and also I, no, I notice like along the side of the screen, there's all these buttons, like these little icons, and I had never touched them before. So I started to play with the icons. And one of them was, was the magic blue icon. Then when you, when you, you clicked on it, it would cite, it would like format it for you in whatever style you needed. And I sat there and I, I said, thank you, God, for this wonderful blue little icon. Where have you been all my life? Or at least for the last couple of years. And, and the truth was, it was in front of me the whole time. Like, like, it was there for me to take advantage of and for me to use to, to get out of this problem that I had. You know, it was right there for me. And we're going to see that today as we study, we continue our study of 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to be in, in chapters 13 through 22 today. And what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be talking about is taking the off-ramp that God provides for us. Now, um, a, a couple of, of truths or a couple of understandings we just want to remember before we start. Um, the, the book of 1 Corinthians is what we call a normative letter. And what that means is, although Paul was responding or, or addressing some specific circumstances or some si- specific situations that were happening in the church in Corinth at the time, the principles that he teaches in there and the truths that he reveals apply to all people in all places in all times. The other 
thing we want to, the other understanding we want to have is, is to really ha- have an understanding of, of, of Corinthian or Greek culture to an extent that we understand where Paul keeps talking about this thing like temple worship and idol worship. That was a real big deal. That was an ingrained part of, of Corinthian, of Greek culture at the time. So that's why Paul keeps hitting it. We're going we're gonna to talk about this in some detail today. But we want to remember that an idol is anything that we take and we pull God out of that central piece of our life, like he's the center of our life. We take him out of that spot and we put something else in, in his place. And, and that's what Paul is addressing here because, you know, Corinthian culture, temple worship was a big thing. And, and quite frankly, nothing that happened in the temple was good. You know, they're, 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 I mean, they were sacrificing idols, they were worshiping false gods, there was temple prostitution, there was nothing good happening in there at all. So that's what Paul's discussing, because in, in this, this verse, this passage we're going to look at today, he goes back to this discussion of meat, of eating meat. And we're going we're gonna to see how that's important within that context to understanding how we, what, what Paul's going to describe to us is flee from sin, how we get away from a sinful lifestyle, a sinful um, background or sinful ways. And, and what Paul does here, it's, it's, it's really, really brilliant, the way he lays out a series of facts and truths and evidence, and then he, he basically kind of stands back a little and goes, okay, folks, it's, it's time for a decision. It's time to decide. And in this second half of chapter 10 here, starting in, in, in verse 13, what we're going to say is that Paul makes this real clear and compelling case where he starts in, in, in verse 13, and he gives this encouragement. If you look in the first 12 um, uh, verses of, of chapter 10, what you're going to see is that Paul has used an example of the Old Testament Israelites and the way that they had been idol worshipers and the way they had walked away and disobeyed God as well and the, and the consequence of that to him. But he starts in verse 13, we're going to see this says, but God gave us a way out. He gives us an escape. That's an amazing um, encouragement to us. And then he comes in, in, in verse 14 and he basically gives us a plea. He says, look, I don't want this for you. Look, turn away from this, run away from them, begging you not to do this. And he kind of challenges them a little bit in verse 15. We're going to see that, that, that he, he kind of, I won't say he pokes them a little bit, but he says, hey, you're smart people, let's take a look at this for yourself. And then he spends quite a bit of time, basically five verses in, in, in the Bible, where he lays out this really good case in, in language and situations that the Corinthians of the time would clearly understand what he was saying, and we can interpret and understand what he's applying to us as well. He, he, he then makes an appeal to them. He says, look, again, guys, I've just laid this out for you. I don't want this for you. And he does give a warning. Look, if, if you decide that this is the way you want to continue to go, I need to warn you of what's going to come from that. So let's kind of read that together. Uh, we're going to read, again, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 to 22. Now, we are deliberately um, repeating chapter thir- excuse me, verse 13. Pastor Michael finished with that last week. We're going to pick it up again as a start of, of, of today's passage, just to show a linkage and better understand exactly what, what Paul is saying here. So if you have your Bible with you, if you have a Bible app on your phone, um, you can follow along, you can follow up here with us. And here what Paul writes is, no temptation has overcome you that, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. 
for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the, the, the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offers to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So as we read those 10 verses there, what we're going to find is Paul lays out a series of four truths for us to understand that apply to the Corinthians then and still apply to us today. And the first one we're going to see is that we each have a decision to make. We're going to talk about this a few times. There's a personal decision that each one of us is responsible for making in response to what God has laid out in his word and in his truth. And we're going to see this in verse 13 and 14. We'll read that again uh, real fast here. Again, what, what, what Paul says is, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Idol worship was a big part of Corinthian culture and society. It was going to the temple was where you went to be seen. That was where the in crowd was. If you want to use a modern day thought of it, that was the after party. Okay, That's where the cool kids went. And, And if you weren't there, you weren't in the club. You know, it was a matter of social standing, but it was also a matter of not being kind of separated from society. But, but folks, the truth is, idol worship is, is a big part of our society today, too. Now, we, we don't have temples, you know. We, we, we're not slaughtering animals, I hope, you know. But, but what are those things that, that we're putting, taking God out of that central portion or that central role in our lives, and we're supplanting something in it? Is it like career or money? Is it family? Is it kids? Is it ourselves? Like, are we saying that, you know, no one's the boss of me? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to decide. I, I'm well enough and smart enough. I can decide what's right and wrong, and I'm going to live the way I know how to live. What, what I decide is right and wrong? Perhaps. And, and what Paul is saying there is, Flee from that. Now, I, I mentioned that we're purposely going back and looking at verse 13 again this week. And, and last week when Pastor Michael ended uh, his passage on verse 13, he used a really good off-ramp off graphic. And, and what you see here, what, what this describes really well is what Paul's talking about. You know, look, naturally, we, we just have to admit this, folks. Naturally, we have sinful temptations. We are tempted to do things that displease God. We are tempted to do things we know to be wrong. And the truth is, God, we're just going to keep going down that route unless we take that route. As Paul said in verse 13, you know, he offers us an escape. The escape is that off-ramp. That's what he's talking about. And, you know, there's, there's really a seriousness to this. You know, although we're going to have a couple of slides here and some cartoons, there's a real seriousness to taking the off-ramp that God offers and fleeing. And, and I want to be clear for a second. Not making a decision is making a decision, okay? If, you, if you're, if you're going to go in with the attitude that, well, I, I got it, I'm kind of evaluating, and I'm just going to keep kind of going, you know, right down the road there, I'll, I'll make a decision sooner or later. Well, guess what? You've made a decision to keep going. You've decided not to take the off-ramp. 
And, and there's consequences to that. Now, often we think of off-ramps as that opportunity to kind of, you know, slow down carefully. You know, you see often off-ramps curve around. There may be a change in elevation. You see a, if you can see it right there, there's a speed limit sign that, that comes down. And, and we do, here at Fog, want you to obey all those speed limits and do all those things. But when we talk about the, the, the word picture of an off-ramp from sin and from a sinful lifestyle, it, we're not talking about carefully going through it. Okay, what, what Paul's really saying here is, hey guys, floor it. Like, now's the time to hit it. Matter of fact, if you have ever wanted to take a corner on two wheels, this is the time to do it. Now, in Paul's time, it probably looked a little more like this, but the principle is the same. The principle is the same that when he talks about fleeing, you know, fleeing never involves something unimportant. Fleeing always involves danger. Matter of fact, if we look at the way Paul writes this verse, um, you know, he, he, he inserts the word therefore at the start of, of, of verse 14. So therefore, he's saying, hey, look back to what I've, I've told you. Look at this example of what happened when the Israelites were doing the exact same thing that you're doing right now and the consequence in separating themselves from God that happened through that but God offers an off-ramp. He offers an escape out of that. Therefore, flee from this. That's what he's trying to ex explain. Folks, nobody flees from a bad movie. Like, you may get up and walk away, okay? But the only reason you would flee was if the movie theater itself was on fire. That's fleeing. You know, nobody flees a bad meal. We might push it away and grumble, Okay, but we don't flee a bad meal because it's not that level of danger. It doesn't have that level of urgency that Paul is trying to describe to us here. The problem was the Corinthians did not see themselves as idolaters. The Corinthians saw themselves as normal members of Corinthian society, of Greek society, who happened to be Christians as well. And we're going to talk a minute about how when, when you look that way, when the Corinthians look that way, when we think that way, what we're starting to do is we're starting to mix some things that don't really go together. And that, that's what Paul is trying to get to. Because temple festivals and dinners were considered normal social interactions at the time. Like I said, it was, it was the after party. It was where the cool kids went. But, but Paul, out of love, I mean, look at the way he starts verse 14. My beloved. I mean, there, there, there's a concern for their welfare here. You know, this is, he's saying this isn't something innocent. This isn't okay. And, and the same principles apply to us today. We each have an individual responsibility to make a decision on what we're going to do in the, in the opportunities that life presents us and, and whether or not we partake in them or not. Is there idolatry in our society like there was in the Corinthians? Yes, it looks different, but the idolatry is the same way. Might, might have different expressions, so the question we might ask ourselves is that if 1 Corinthians is a normative letter, and it is, the principles still apply, but temple festivals and dinners, you know, with meat sacrifice to idols, those don't exist. We don't do those things right now. How do I take this principle and apply it to the challenges and the questions I have about what to do and not to do with the things that are presented in front of me in life? And I think Paul answers that very well in, in his second point, we see that when we carefully look at the evidence for ourselves, the truth is clear. And, and this, is, this is the largest portion of the passage we're going to look at. We're going to spend our most time in this part here. We're going to look at, at, at verses 15 to 20. We'll read that together again. 
Here's Paul saying, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offers to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. And I want to highlight the part here, the the, the two words, for ourselves. Again, I, I mentioned we're going to talk about personal responsibility throughout this. We have a responsibility for ourselves. When, when, Paul, when Paul says judge for yourself, what he's saying is assess, evaluate. Judge whether this is right or wrong. Judge whether this is true. And society today, unfortunately, information for us tends to be dumbed down into a series of headlines and sound bites. It is very easy to form our opinions of what is right and what is wrong, what is healthy, what is unhealthy, what's okay, what's not, based on the interpretations of the reports from others in very short clips, in very short words, including about what the Bible says, including about what God says about who he is. Because since the Bible is God's revelation of himself, and through there we start to understand his character and his will and his teachings and his truths, his commands, there's a real danger in not, in not evaluating for ourselves. Just real quick, some of you may know, I came to Christ later in life. I was over 40 years when I, old when I came to Christ. And I had a lot of understandings of what the Bible said, having never read it, that I found out were not correct at all. They weren't even close to true. And so I, I went and did a little research, and I just came up with a couple of examples that are actually relatively close in some cases. But people believe that these are in the Bible. For instance, God helps those who help themselves. That's from ancient Greek literature. It's not in the Bible. This too shall pass. That's actually Persian poetry. Cleanliness is next to godliness. The Talmud. And then God wants us to be happy. You know what, folks? I don't know where that's from, but I can guarantee it's not from the Bible. Okay, it's in a lot of places, but the Bible isn't one of them. Now, yes, God has a will for us, and he wants what's best for us, and, and, and he has a dream for us, but that doesn't mean that we're necessarily happy. We have to understand the difference here. And Paul, Paul talks about this in, in the book of Acts when he's talking about uh, or describing some of his experiences in Macedonia when he was up in, in that area and in planting churches, and he was talking about some of the resistance that he was getting. And I want to read from you a, a, with you a passage from Acts 17. And in there what Paul writes is, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul uses the word more noble. When we think of the term noble, the word noble, we think of something that's honorable. We think of it, it's worthy, it's virtuous, it's, it's almost extraordinary. Like, this is noble. I mean, people are called nobles, and we, like, bow to them for whatever reason. I don't know. But, I mean, noble is considered this, this high thing to be attained. And more than being noble, the, the fact that people dive into the Scriptures daily to see if these things are so, it's healthy. It promotes your own growth. It promotes your spiritual growth. 
It brings you closer to God by understanding again who he is and what his will is. Now, we use the term, Paul uses the term judge for yourself here. When you judge for yourself, what that does, it equips you to understand who God is and what he wants for your life. Those actions and those inactions that either bring us closer to God or push us farther away from him. Folks, I'm just going to be like blunt. We have to quit accepting so much of what we think we understand about truth and, 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 and what's false from people who consider themselves influencers, from other people's opinions. It doesn't say here, don't listen. See, Paul doesn't say, hey, don't listen to anybody else. It doesn't say that at all. It says, judge it. It says, evaluate it. It is good to be discipled. There are awesome Christian writers out there. There are great men and women who, who, who understand the principles that, that are in the Bible, and then they write on it well. There's podcasts. There's folks that you can talk to and understand. That's all good, and it's healthy. What Paul's saying is, before you start making your opinions, understand who they are. Check your sources. Check your sources' sources. Understand what you're listening to. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, Paul hits the Corinthians several times in this book about what I'll call their knowledge attitude. In, in, in Greek culture, like I said, knowledge was like this big thing. It was, it was something to be attained. And it became a very prideful thing. Like, I'm smarter than you, therefore I don't. I have more knowledge than you, therefore I don't have to listen to you. You're below me. And it, Paul hits him pretty hard with it a few times. But not here. He's not being sarcastic in this passage. Um, he, he, what he's asking them to do is, is this, look, just evaluate this. Is it correct? Is it incorrect? Is it right or is it wrong? Is it pleasing or displeasing to God? That, that's what he's trying to get them to. Because... Another part of the problem was the Corinthian attitude at the time was that, okay, I've got this knowledge. I know that idols aren't real. I know that now that I've come to Christ, idols don't have any power. Therefore, there can't be anything possibly wrong with me going to the temple and participating in a feast to an idol because I know that it's not, it's not anything real. And Paul's answer is basically, really? You think so? And so what he does is he lays out in, in, in four verses here excuse me, five verses, four um, examples that they would understand very well of why that, in fact, it is a big problem. And it's, it's based on the word participation. In Greek, he uses the, uh, the Greek word koinonia, which talks about a fellowship, a participation, a sharing together. And, and you see what he does here in verse 16. Verse 16 and 17, he talks about the Lord's Supper. Now, Pastor Michael is going to give us some great teaching when we get on the Lord's Supper, when we get to chapter 11 in a couple of weeks. Okay, but what he says here is participation in the blood of Christ. In 17, he talks about the fact that we partake of one bread. He talks, now, he's not endorsing um, Jewish um, sacrifices. What he's saying is those who participate you know, they're participation, participants in the altar. And then he follows up with verse 20. He says, and those who, um, who participate in the, at the idol worship, they participate with demons. What he's basically saying is, is your participation is how you've set your identity. That's who you identify with. So if you participate in the Lord's Supper, you identify yourself as a Christian. If you participate in Jewish sacrifices... You participate, you, you identify as a Jew. So it only follows that if you participate in idol practices, 
you identify yourself as an idolater. That's, that's the point that he's making here. See, if it means something to participate in the Lord's Supper, then it means something to participate in an idol feast or a dinner. If it means something to participate in the Lord's Supper, then it means something to go out on a Friday or Saturday night and get stinking drunk and act like a fool. It means something. Let me give you an example because, again, the, the, to, the, to, the, to the Corinthians, they were like, I, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm, just, I'm, I'm a Christian who's following in with, with, with normal society, and I think sometimes we fall into that trap as well. So let me, let me show you an example here real quick. On your left, okay, this is a, a sculpture, a carving of a false god called Serapis. Serapis was, uh, he was created by an Egyptian pharaoh about 300 BC or so. Uh, he was the god of the underworld. He, was, he, was, he had several other hats. He was gods of other things for. Um, but he was created basically as kind of like a political appeasement to help the, the, the Egyptian pharaoh kind of get into the good graces of another, another leader. Now, what you see on your right there is those are ruins from a, a temple to Serapis. Now, these aren't in Egypt. These were found in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. So think about this for a second. Serapis, this, this, this false guard Serapis, he, he lasted for, he was followed for about 600 years or so. He had a following from Egypt all the way up to Turkey. That's pretty significant. There, there, the, people are worshiping this god of the underworld in an area of that size. And I want to show you an invitation from a guy named uh, Cherimon. Cherimon was an Egyptian. He was, think of him as like the curator of the Serapis exhibit in, a, uh, in, in an Egyptian library. He was like the Serapis dude. You know, if you had a question on Serapis, Cherimon could answer your question for you, okay? And, and here's what, what we see in the invitation. Cherimon invites you to a meal at the table of the Lord Serapis in the temple of Serapis tomorrow, the 15th from 9 o'clock onwards. That sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Yeah, that sounds really cool. I mean, he's inviting me to, to a meal, like a free meal. This is pretty awesome. Let me tell you a little more about Chairman. I talked to you about he was, you know, he was the Serapist dude. You know? he, if you had a question, you went to him about Serapist. Well, well Chairman, about the time, within about five years of Paul writing this letter to the Corinthians, Chairman was handpicked to go to Rome to mentor a young man named Nero who would become the emperor of Rome, and one of the most brutal oppressors and, 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 and barbarians of the time who persecuted Christians ruthlessly. So, Chairman, this nice guy, who invites you to a table of the Lord Serapis, who's the Lord of the underworld, I mean, it doesn't say in here, hey, come on, we're going to have a dinner, we're going to do idol worship. It doesn't say in here, hey, we're going we're to have some sinful practices here. No, this is like really nice. You know, you, you get this thing in the mail and, and you go, well, everybody else is going. I mean, I don't want to be rude. You know, I don't, don't want to, you know, mess up society. I mean, I'll, I'll feel foolish. And, you know, I don't want to be one of these stuck up Christians, you know, like I'm better than them. I don't want people to think that. We'll address that last piece about being a stuck up Christian and what boundaries are in a second, okay? But, but Paul is explaining that going to eat at the table is no small thing. It's not this neutral or innocent event. Now, I will tell you, when we carefully look at the evidence for ourselves, that does take intentional effort. For some of us, that takes a change in what's important to us. That takes a change in our lifestyle to put in and prioritize the time to do that. 
to, to seek out in some cases people who can disciple us and help us do that. And, and I want to be clear when it says for yourselves, this isn't about isolating ourselves or putting our study all by ourselves, okay? Growing with others and under somebody's discipling, it's good, it's healthy. We encourage it here at Falk. But the point is judge for yourself if the person that you're listening to or what you're reading is speaking biblical truths. Judge for yourself is if the decision you're about to make is, is godly or not, if it's going to bring you closer to God or drive you farther away. Understand what you're reading and who you're listening. That's the whole point with this. Now, I want to be clear also that, you know, by yourself, you know, carefully looking at the evidence for yourself, this is not some type of a license that, that you can go and judge whether or not you agree with what's in the Bible and whether it's true or not. What this is, it's a plea to judge or evaluate the situations in your life that you're presented with against the biblical truths that are already there. That, that, that's Paul's whole, whole point. So as we look at that and we look at, okay, now we've, we're getting a feel for how to understand what is inbounds and what's out of bounds, Paul makes his next, truth, next point. The next truth is that you can't follow God and follow Satan at the same time. And, and we see that in verse 21. And in there what Paul writes is, you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. I'm going to speak a very candid truth right now, folks. Anything other than exclusively following God is not following God. That's just a truth. If we're on two sides of the equation, we're not following God because we've decided to follow someone else. You can't be on two teams at the same time. So if you're a Chiefs fan, and there's probably a couple in here right now, Think of your reaction if someone came up and labeled you or identified you as a Raiders fan. That was a much larger reaction than the first service. I guess we're more passionate about our Chiefs at 1030. Okay, so great. Let's, let me ask you a question now then. Think of the reaction you just had as a Chiefs fan to being labeled as a Raiders fan. Just think about that for a half a second, okay? And now I want you to evaluate or think about being a Christian, and your reaction if someone said you were something other than a Christian. Would you have the same reaction? Would you be like, no way? Like, would that bother you in the same way? And, and it doesn't matter if you're a Chiefs fan or not. I mean, substitute your favorite preference. It could be another sports team. It could be like, I don't know, Mac and PC, Android and iPad. Coke and Pepsi, I don't care, you know, but I mean, do you have the same reaction when your preference for a worldly thing is, is, is challenged, do you have the same reaction when your, your identity in Christ is challenged? Like, are we that exclusive to God that that, that, that bothers us? And, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Paul kind of lays this out. He actually, he lays out in, in, in a second letter to the Corinthians, he, he lays out the same point, and he actually goes back and talks about the Israelites again. And we'll see this in 2 Corinthians 6, 6 and 7. And here's what Paul writes. Again, it's right into the same church, right into the same audience. And he says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we, we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and, they, and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. 
Okay, so a moment ago, I kind of talked to this invitation from, uh, from Cheremon and, and a reaction to that. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to be seen like this stuck-up Christian. Okay, and, and now, we, now we have, you know, this, this, this passage um, that, 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 that talks about separating yourself. Like, where's the line there? How do I take those two things and put together a principle with which to live my Christian life? And, and, and the answer really comes down to boundaries, Okay, boundaries that are established based on biblical principles. Reaching people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to do that and we want to reach them where they are. We want to go to people. We, don't, we, we can't expect someone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ to come with us. That's totally unrealistic. So we do want to go to where people are. But where the boundary comes in, where we no longer, where we separate what I will do and what I won't do, is when we start to encourage sinful behavior, when we start to participate in sinful behavior, when we start to damage our witness and our identity in Christ by participating in something else. That, that's the difference. That's the boundary there, that, that kind of the principle Paul is talking about. So what, what might that look like? Well, we can go and we can hang out with friends. We can go, whether they're coworkers, neighbors, whatever, okay? And if someone's having a beer and it's not, you know, they're not acting stupid, okay, we don't have to get all offended and everything else like that. But, you know, if they say, hey, I tell you what, why don't we jump in the car, we'll go grab some beers together, and then we'll go over to the strip club. That would be a point where there's a boundary that we don't cross. That, that, that's what we're trying to understand. You can't follow both at one time. And, and the, the important part about that, it kind of goes back to 1 Peter 3.15, you know, where, where, where Peter talks about, you know, in your heart, honor the Lord your God, honor Christ Jesus as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for the faith that's in you, but do it with gentleness and respect, okay? You can defend and explain your faith. You can defend and explain your witness for Christ, but you can do it respectfully. You don't have to be snobbish about it. But you can't cross a boundary that brings you into this whole thing that Paul is talking about of idol worship that leads us to a sinful lifestyle where we, we keep driving down this highway towards sinful temptations as opposed to taking the off-ramp that says, hey, I, I've been with you guys this far, but if you guys are going to get drunk and go down a strip club, I'll see you next time. That, that's the difference. That's the boundary that Paul is talking about. And then Paul ends with this passage with, with a bit of a warning. And he does that in verse 22. Excuse me. The warning is that you're not going to oppose God and win, like ever. Okay? And he does that in verse 22. And what he says is, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And we can easily look back to uh, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 10, where Paul lays out this case, this example of the, uh, of the uh, Old Testament Israelites who were doing the exact same types of things in, in, in following idols and, and participating in idol worship and, and, and deliberately in, in, in going against what God had told them against, told them to do and not to do. And we see how that worked out. As a matter of fact, not only do we see it in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, we also see it in Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. In there, excuse me, we see that God says, They have made me jealous with what is no God, they have provoked me to anger. With their idols. So, just like Paul is speaking a hard truth to the Corinthians in chapter 10 here, God is also speaking a hard truth here. 
God's saying, look, if you're going to do this, if you're going to make the decision to continue to do this, then you're going to provoke me. And when we provoke God, the result of that is we put animosity between us and God. We put a separation between us and God. And it's important for us to understand that when we choose to do that, we are the ones who's introducing the animosity. We are the ones who's introducing the separation. That's our action. Folks, we're never going to outsmart God. We're never going to slip one past him. It just doesn't happen. Okay, there's one way to win. It's God's way. You know, people, we're all around here kind of excited that the Chiefs are Super Bowl champs, and that's an awesome thing to, to enjoy, okay? It's an awesome thing to, 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 to take some, some time to, 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 to celebrate. But we have to understand, every year there's a Super Bowl champion, and then there's 30 other, 31 other teams who don't win, okay? You're either on the winning team or you're on a losing team. That's the truth every time whether it's sports or anything else, you don't get the prize. And, and what Paul is saying here in this, this, um, this passage is he doesn't want that for the Corinthians. I mean, he pleads with them, beloved, flee, flee from this. I, I don't want this for you. I don't want you to participate. I mean, there's a, there, there's a love in here that he's trying to, to express to them for where they're going. And God doesn't want that for us. I mean, God has laid out for us. He's given everything we need to include the off-ramp. Folks, we just have to decide. We just have to make a decision. Is it off-ramp or no off-ramp? Off-ramp or keep driving straight? Because the truth is that amazing things happen in our lives when we take that off-ramp. We just have to take it. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word, that we could, we could study it for ourselves, uh, that we could understand who you are. We could understand your will and your character, your amazing character. Lord, that we can understand the amazing sacrifice that Jesus Christ made through his death and resurrection, Lord. And, 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 and as we go back and look at this, this scripture, Lord, as we continue uh, in, in our daily lives, Lord, just ask that you would continue to uh, put this on our hearts. Put it on our hearts to want to flee from, from things that, that, that take us away from you, from, from, from having a, a desire to, to be in your word regularly and understand that it's true, but also to lead other people in the very same way so you be glorified by more people coming to you. Lord, if, if there's areas in our lives where maybe today has, has really touched on our heart, Lord, I just ask that you would show us how to uh, just, just let that go. Just lift that up to you. Confess it. Maybe we need to get with some friends. Maybe we get some, 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 some folks around here to help walk us out of that, Lord, so we could take that off-ramp that you offer and live a life close to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen.